0: Aren't you just a sight for sore eyes? Of all the movie and TV joints and all the towns and all the world, you walked into mine. How lovely. Come, sit. Let me pour you a drink before we begin the showing. You know, I think that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Cheers. Here's looking at you, Phil. Well, hello there. How are we? Welcome back to Here's Looking at You Film, a podcast for the vintage cinephile with modern sensibilities. I'm your host, Nikki, and it has been a minute hasn't it? Oh man, child, we have to get into this first episode of season two, and it is a long episode. It has been a long time, but the next episode, I promise I will get into more personal deets about where I've been, what I've been up to, all the things, Um, but I am great. No worries, guys. But for now, we are jumping right into the long-awaited part two of Gone with the Wind. So first off, if you haven't listened to part one, how did you get here? What are you doing? I mean, I understand my voice is really engaging, but I would definitely recommend you do that. Go back and listen to part one. Um, it's before the Star Wars episode. Then come back here because there is too much for me to recap. Scarlet is messy. Mellie is sweet as pie. Ashley is gone. Um, Rhett done left Scarlet to make it to Tara alone. Her mama done die, And Tara is in shambles. But here we are. And as y'all hopefully know, the South has basically done almost lost at this point. But Tara, the land that we know and love to belong to the O'Hara clan, has survived. Scarlett is pretty much the main caretaker of the estate at this point because her dad has mentally lost it. Her mom is dead, rest her soul. And Millie is still kind of sickly. She's always kind of sickly. And Scarlett has her two sisters there too, Kareen and Sue Ellen. All their farm hands and, well, to be quite frank, slaves, left either to join the war effort or when the, pop- or when the property got invaded by the, quote unquote, damn Yankees, um, they left. So, the girls have to work. Um, they have a couple people who are there in the house, as y'all know. Um, they have Pork, um, they have Mammy, they have Prissy who are left, but um, most everybody else is gone, and none of them know how to work the yard. So, they've been helping out with cows, doing some, you know, as much labor as they can, but the girls, they've been working the land. Now, Scarlett is not playing, and she is doing what needs to be done, but her sister, Sue Ellen, is not hype about working at all. They're Southern Bells. Work is not in their DNA. Sue Ellen tells Scarlett that she hates Tara. She hates this land and Scarlett slaps the shit out of her. Don't you ever talk bad about Tara. You are playing. Her dad tells her that she needs to be firm but nice to the darkies that work for them but Scarlett ain't being rude because they're black she's not like racist she's just like that she clearly just slapped her own sister she's definitely not gonna be playing about the workers in the house Post-war poverty is so bad that one day, Scarlett's at the house getting some things together while everybody's outside, except Millie, who is literally in bed. Millie keeps getting up and asking if she can help. And Scarlett literally literally tells her, girl, if you don't go ahead and get better, you're never going to be able to help me. And Millie's like, girl, you're right. My bad. But Millie goes back to bed. This random ass dude rolls up thinking he's going to steal something from in the house because at this point, everybody is broke. They're ransacking anything they can find. Scarlett hears this man coming up the walk with his horse and she scurries over to the drawer to get that pistol. Now, Buddy spots her and thinks she's just some like pretty flowery girl. He finds some little baubles, obviously they're not worth nothing, and he sees that she's holding something behind her back, Ask her what she got, and he tries to roll up on her real quick. She whipped that thing out, and there's no threats, just shots, literally shoots this man right in the face. She don't talk about it, she knows what's what, and she provides, okay? Well, that gun goes off, and of course, it's loud, it's like the 1800s. Millie bring her sick ass around the corner with Ashley's worse or like she was going to do something. She wasn't going to do nothing, but she was up, child. So she looks at Scarlett and she goes, Scarlett, you killed him. I'm glad you killed him. Child, you could tell Millie really wishes that she had the follow through that Scarlet has. Sometimes it blows up in Scarlett's face, but up until now, it has been really beneficial for Millie, helping her to get back to Tara, get the land taken care of, get some food back in their mouths. So at this point, Millie is down to ride for Scarlet through whatever. So, they both know that everybody outside probably heard the gun go off. So, Millie hurries up and yells outside to tell them that Scarlett accidentally set the gun off, cleaning it so they wouldn't come in the house. Now, they got to get rid of the body. (laughs) Scarlett is really impressed by how easily Millie lied. But Millie like, yo, we got to get this body up. She's trying to help, but she is really weak. Like, she can't even pick up this man bag. Because first, she was like, girl, maybe we should go through the bag. And Scarlett was like... I'm ashamed I didn't even think of that, girl. They find some money, okay? But um, Scarlett tells her, like, I got to drag this body across the yard, but this blood is going to get everywhere. I need you to take off your gown so I can wrap um, his head. And Millie's over in the corner, like, uh, um, I don't know. And she was like, girl, if you don't give me that gown, ain't nobody looking at you. So Melanie does it reluctantly and cowers in a corner covering her body. But she tells Scarlett she going to clean up that blood, though. Scarlett was like, I'll come back and clean up this blood after I get him buried. And Melanie was like, no, I got it. So she has no problem with murder. She has no problem with blood cleanup. But being naked, mm-mm, that baby is modest. Melly is complicated. But we, you know we love her. And Scarlett says, this is word for word afterwards. She looks at the body and goes. Well, I guess I've done murder, but I can't think about that now. I'll think about it tomorrow. Push that shit down. (laughs) Well, Daddy O'Hara comes riding up on his horse and tells them that Lee surrendered. It's done. There's mixed reactions, there's crying, they like, why did we even go to war in the first place? Millie is happy that Ashley is going to be home, and Scarlett is thinking about how much cotton they can plant, but also thinking about how Ashley going to come home, child. Sue Ellen's boo, Frank Kennedy, even came back, stank kind of gross but he is alive so all this time they've been wrangling up whatever food they have to feed confederate soldiers who show up on their doorstep or even um um, union soldiers who show up on their doorstep they're just trying to feed them um because Melly knows that that could be ashley anywhere and so she wants to make sure to take care of those soldiers the same way that she wants some woman to take care of ashley And Millie finds out from one of the soldiers that Ashley has actually been taken prisoner. But that's good news because prisoner usually means they ain't dead. Mr. Frank Kennedy come inside with his naked ass wrapped in just a blanket looking for Scarlett because his clothes is being cleaned. He just done cleaned his whole body off with lye soap. And since Mr. O'Hara ain't all there, Scarlett is basically the next best person that he can ask for Sue Ellen's hand in marriage. Of course, Scarlett is like, boy, I thought you already asked her, child. She been waiting on your ass. Go on, go on ask her, child. So he is happy as a hopping frog, but the way this works is he kind of got to get his life together and get his money right before he can actually marry her but he's asked now so he just got to get it together so he can establish a house for them and then he can get it wed and get it going so while after right after that happens they look out into the distance and they see this haggard looking man stumbling up the path and mammy is like hey here come another one child and scarlet is like gosh another one child we can't feed nobody else, but Millie, she take off running, because she know her boo when she see him. Ashley is home, and even though he is like haggard and tired looking, his hair still got them waves. He's still, they still sitting. So, they embrace and hug, of course, like long lost lovers, which they pretty much are at this point. Meanwhile, Scarlett is also about to run her dumb ass down there, too, before Mammy reminds her real quick. That's her husband, Miss Scarlett. Girl, you is wildin'. So back at the house, Port come in and he like, Miss Scarlett, how much money you got? And she got $10 in gold and he like, well, that ain't enough. So y'all know how Scarlett's mama died because she caught dysentery from Emma Slattery, that girl, that old white trash, Mr. Wilkinson. They words, not mine. They always call him that old, no good white trash. Um, that So he was messing with Emma Emma Slattery, got her pregnant, and um, Scarlett's mama had been going over there and midwifing and, and um, baptizing their kids. Well, she ended up catching some stuff from Emma, and that's how she ended up dying. Well- Now, Mr. Wilkinson trash ass done switch sides. He's a union man. He's a damned Yankee, not a Confederate. And his carpetbagger friends said they raising taxes on Tara to $300. Scarlett decides she finna go ask Ashley. And Pork is like, oh, Ashley ain't got it. And she's like, "Well, I can ask him, can I?" Now we all know women like this who basically use their situations of distress as a reason to call on men who usually don't belong to them. They having some kind of trouble and they just need to call this specific person when they got a ton of other people they could probably ask. Child, but um, she supposedly really need help and she's desperate, so she gonna go ask Ashley Child. But Pork says it best under his breath: "Asking they ain't getting." Thank <laughs> you. So she run her ass out to Ashley, who out there hammering something. Who knows why he's talking about Abraham Lincoln. Every time he starts talking, it sounds like dreamland. It sounds super whimsical. It is annoying. But we're going to talk about that later. So she tells him about the tax situation. And she's being all damselly and distressed and crying. And, of course, he's like, dang, I ain't got it. But I wish I did, man. I feel like I suck. And then he goes into talking about how he misses his old Southern life. And she's working so hard, being so brave brave, boosting her head up like he always do. So, she all of a sudden, she's starting about them running away together. She even goes as far as to drop in that Melanie can't have any more kids, so she'll have kids for him. Cha, are you kidding me? Straight ruthless. She's like, there's nothing to keep us here, and Ashley says nothing except honor. Ever the valiant gentleman. (laughs) So, of course, Scarlett started crying. And he come over, he starts hugging her, kissing her forehead, then straight kisses her, like kisses her, kisses her. Ashley, what are you doing? It's already confusing enough. You know this girl. Anyway, she giggling. She talking about, you do love me. You do love me. And he's like, yes, I love things about you. Yeah. But if you keep talking like that, I'll leave. I'm never going to forget about Melanie. I'm never going to forget her. So she's like, Well, then, what do I have to fight for? What do I have to live for? And he's like, Tara. So she's like, you're right, Ashley. My bad. I'll chill. Don't even worry about it. Right after that, Wilkerson rides up with Emma, who is now his wife in the carriage, offering to buy Tara. Child, Scarlet is definitely not having that, especially from the man messing with the woman who inadvertently killed her mama. So she tells him off and throw some dirt at him. Well, he's on his way out. Scarlet's dad comes riding his ass out on a horse, chasing after the carriage like a madman, and tries jumping the same fence that broke his leg before the war. Well, this time, Gerald O'Hara breaks more than a leg. He breaks his life. What what does that even mean he breaks his leg? Well, you know, anyway, child, he dead. It's sad. (sighs) Even though she could have sold his watch to make some money for the taxes, she gives his watch to Pork, who is weeping like a baby. But she don't even have time to think about her father's death. She is too worried about that $300. And Mammy tells her, you've been so brave. You just got to go on being brave. You know for facts. We are going to talk about that later because she doesn't even have a chance to break down. All of a sudden, she remembers someone who might just have that money, Brett Butler. And after thinking about Brett for the first time in God knows how long, she looks at herself in the mirror and realizes how pale and thin she's gotten from the stress, lack of food and hard labor. Plus, she don't even have nothing cute to wear. Then she looks up the curtains these long elaborate green velvet portiers and even though mammy tries to protest because that scarlet's mama portiere, scarlet says these are my portiers now and she's gonna use them curtains to make a gorgeous gorgeous gown and she's going to atlanta to see captain butler and mammy's gonna go with her so red's in jail but he chilling playing cards and whatnot So someone comes in to announce that another one of Captain Butler's quote-unquote sisters is here to visit. So apparently he ain't been too lonely in jail. So in comes Scarlett and her gorgeous, gorgeous gown. And Rhett, originally, he was kind of like, who is it? But when he heard that she had a mammy, he knew exactly who it was. So Rhett is complimenting her left and right. And she out here acting like she and Tara are doing just fine, putting on hard, acting like she is so sad that he's in jail until he holds her hands and sees the palms of her hands. The hands are a dead giveaway that she has been working in the field. Well, now the jig is up and she tells him what's going on with Tara and that she need that $300. And She even offers herself in a way knowing that he is not a marrying man. She'll do it for Tara. But unfortunately, all Rhett's money is tied up somewhere else so he can't even help her even if he wanted to. Plus he tells her that she's not even worth the $300 for all the misery she'll bring with her. Well, now she can come up off the act. And she tells him like she always does that, you know, he can screw off pretty much. And she leaves since he can't help her. Out in Atlanta, she walking around and all the men is looking at her because, you know, she got on one of the prettiest outfits out here that she done made from these damn curtains. Um, And she runs into nobody but Frank Kennedy, Sue Ellen's fiance. And he's doing all right for himself. He done managed to come up on a store and the store is making some good money. He said he done made $1,000 since he'd been out there. So Scarlett tells him that Sue Ellen got tired of waiting for him and is getting married to somebody else. But she's free. Sis looked at Mr. Kennedy and literally saw dollar signs. And you might be thinking, well, why didn't Scarlett just let him marry Sue Ellen and get the money from them? Well, then Scarlett's not in control anymore, now is she? And you know for facts that Sue Ellen already said she hated Tara. No telling whether she would actually help or just up and leave them to live in comfort with Mr. Kennedy. And Mr. Kennedy would have done anything Sue Ellen said. But Scarlett, she gonna make sure they all eat. Even if she gotta marry a man that she don't like. And also, they all eating, but she gonna eat the best. Now, of course, Sue Ellen isn't devastated and she hates scarlet more than ever now now dumbass ashley is running around here saying it is his fault for not having three hundred dollars or whatever that she had to marry somebody she don't like as if scarlet don't know exactly what the fuck she doing but no matter he going to new york to get a job in banking not only does scarlet tell him that she wanted um him to help her with the lumber business she offers him half of it The lumber business that she just got from getting married, she offers Ashley half of it. And when he says he doesn't want handouts, she offers to let him buy it gradually. She is offering this business that she just came up on to another dude. But he's like, nope, leaves the room. He can't even get out the door before Scarlett flops down and starts literally fake crying. She even takes the time to look out of the corner of her eye to make sure that Ashley isn't leaving the room and that he's still watching. No tears, no nothing. She's not even really making the face. She's just covering her face and making noises. Ashley is not really buying it. But you know who is. Melanie she comes running in and she and Scarlet basically says Ashley says he won't help me he being so mean and Melanie is just falling all over herself with all the sincerity in the world she says that he should be ashamed of himself for not helping Scarlet with all that she has done for him and it is such a sad moment watching this because he is literally trying to get away from this mess he understands how he feels about Scarlet and he's like I just want to leave this house And he ends up being shamed by the woman that he loves in the relationship that he is trying to protect. And he is shamed into helping a woman that is basically obsessed with him. That is so sad. So at the lumber mill, Scarlett is pretty much overseeing all aspects of the business and brings in convicts for free labor. And Frank tries to tell Scarlett that it ain't right, but she basically runs him back off to the store, barely giving him a kiss on the cheek. And she completely flips out when he calls her sugar. And when Ashley tries to tell her that they should have hired some quote-unquote free darkies, she said it would be way too expensive for them. And when she mentions that Ashley never had a problem with owning slaves before, he's quick to point out that Wilkes didn't treat their slaves quote-unquote like that. Plus, he would have freed the slaves once his pops passed away, if, you know, they still had them. But Scarlett. Has had a little taste of what it's like to be broke. And she never wants to feel that way again. So she's going to work with the union to beat them at their own game. Even if people talk shit about her. And even if she has to use convicts for her labor. Now these convicts, a lot of them are white. It's not just all black people. It's not like she's using slaves. She's literally using old, worn down convicts. Now, Scarlett says she don't care people talk shit about her, and talk shit they do. They do not like how involved she is with business, and even drives her own buggy around town instead of letting a man drive her around. Scarlett is an independent married woman for this time, for all intents and purposes, and child, guess who is back out of jail? Old oh boy, Rhett Butler, just in time to see them putting a big sign over that business that says Wilkes and Kennedy. Ashley is the first name in a business that was started by Frank Kennedy, Wilkes and Kennedy. How about that? Anyway, guess who's back out of jail? Oh boy, Rhett Butler. And he is cheesing watching Scarlett walking back to her buggy. And of course, he has to tease her about, once again, marrying a man that she doesn't love and keeping Ashley under her thumb. And she's not even entertaining him because she has to get to the mail. When Rhett asks how she rides through the rough part of town by herself, she says she's a straight shot. Rhett watches her ride off and says to himself, what a woman. (laughs) So she goes riding out there and there's a bunch of displaced slaves, homeless men, rebels out there. And they're mostly like Union soldiers who just don't have a home now. Child, two of them come from under a bridge and attack her. And she basically passed. She literally faints. And the only reason she gets out alive is because Big Sam is out there by chance and saves her. Big Sam, the homie. Um, and then rode her home or rode with her in the buggy home. She gets home. She's distressed, obviously. Well, Scarlett still has every man's heart, of course. So Ashley, Frank Kennedy, and some other guys have to go to a quote unquote political meeting now. Scarlett is sitting around with the other women sewing and complaining in a very bratty manner that all the men have left her in her time of need. But Ashley's sister India is staring daggers into her. And is, first of all, she still pissed at Scarlett for marrying Charles. You remember him? That was her first husband. And she also don't like Scarlett for just generally being kind of a bitch. So she kind of lets it slip that the men are out in her honor right now. And before they can continue talking, there's a knock at the door. And everybody, Millie kind of choirs everybody down, but she also grabs her gun. It's Red, begging Millie to tell him where the boys went. He was out playing poker with some Yankees and, or yeah, he was out playing poker with some Yankees and they let it slip that they were sending a cavalry out. The boys are basically walking into a trap and they don't say this in the movie, but this quote unquote political meeting that they're at, it's a, it's a Ku Klux Klan meeting, y'all. They're going to burn some shit down. The Southern political meeting, simply a KKK meeting. Um, So they made the KKK sound chivalrous, but you know, first of all, motion picture code and all that. And also from the viewpoint of the Southern man, they did feel like they were being chivalrous fighting for lost causes. This is the song of the South. There was a lot more than just killing black people, but there was a lot of killing black people that they're not bringing up in this movie, but I digress. Rhett runs out to see what he can do. So, of course, now Scarlet is distraught and having her little southern spell. And India tells her that if anything happens to them, it's on her head. But they can't do anything but wait, of course. Next, knock on the door, is the group of uniformed men looking for Ashley and friends, I guess. Melanie tells them that the guys are at the store, but they know that's a lie. So they decide to camp outside and wait. Melly who's always keeping her wits about her, tells them to just keep knitting while she reads David Copperfield. Nine chapters pass before they hear drunken singing coming up the walk. The boys are back and toasted out of their minds. Ashley is literally slumped, leaning on someone for support. And Melly immediately starts chastising them for their drunken behavior, even getting Rhett to admit that they were with Belle Watling, if you see what I'm saysin'. Captain Butler's lady friend, you know, Belle. So the Union captain asks for Rhett's word as a gentleman. As a gentleman? Of course, I would never lie to you as a gentleman. (laughs) Mellie and the women are so disappointed in them. And the Union soldiers who wanted to arrest them now see that basically they're being shamed by their women, which is punishment enough, I guess. So they leave. And as soon as they're gone they spring into action actually isn't drunk he was shot in the shoulder during the standoff but was able to sneak away before he was spotted and his drunken acting was actually because he was physically trying not to die he's been shot in the shoulder scarlet is holding ashley's hand when rhett asks if she's wondering where frank is you know her husband she's like oh did he go to bells with you too he says nope He's laying in the middle of Decatur Road. Dead. R.I.P. Frank. So you know Sue Ellen really, really, really hates Scarlett now. Well, because Rhett needed an alibi for the boys, she did take them to Belle's. So Melanie wanted to come by and personally thank her. Belle pulled up when it was dark to Melly's house and asked her to get into her car. See, Belle is the lady of the night, but she also tries to keep it classy and would never want a proper woman, especially like Melanie, to be seen cavorting with her. Men, it's whatever. But Belle knows what comes with her reputation, and she doesn't want Melly to have any part of that. But Melly is so kind that she doesn't see any of that. She just sees the woman who helped save her husband's life. Belle even tells her, If you see me in the street, you ain't even got to acknowledge me. I know what's up. But Melly's like, I would be proud to be under your obligation. And of course, Melly will wave because she's Melly scarlet meanwhile is getting drunk she's in her black dress mourning period again and this time she's actually kind of in mourning it's more of like a guilt thing than anything else she can't even look at frank's photo because she feels like she'd have married this man made him miserable and now he's dead because of her and she hurriedly gargles some cologne um because rhett's here Um, She tries to get rid of the brandy smell because she's been getting drunk this whole time. She tries to hold her hiccups in, meet him downstairs. And by the way, Mammy does not like Rhett at this point. Well, that cologne didn't work. She still smells like brandy. And Scarlett basically descends into a sobbing mess, saying that this is the first time that she knows what it feels like to be sorry for what she's done. And Rhett flat out tells her that she may be sorry, but she wouldn't have done things any differently because... She's about that money. Rhett literally does not care about her crying. He's trying not to laugh at her sniffing and sniveling because she looks like a child. Um, She's having a crying fit. And he says he wants to change the subject. She is like, what what do you want? He says, I can't go on without you. And this man, who is not a marrying man, asks Scarlett O'Hara Kennedy to marry him. And she's like, stop playing with me, Rhett. And Buddy gets down on his knees and he starts saying some corny shit. Like you can tell he's like literally just saying it to like see if he can get a rise out of her. And she's like, you know what? I don't want to get married. I don't even like being married. And he was like, okay, but you were literally married to a little boy and an old man. Like I'm the right age and I know how to, you know, the women like it. Just try getting married for fun. And she's like, well, you know what? You dumb for wanting to marry me when you know I love another man. (laughs) And she said with a smirk on her face. And Rhett is like, stop that. Stop that bullshit. And he grabs her and kisses her hard, like sexy style. And y'all know the motion picture code said you can't kiss that long on screen. But he was, "Mm." but you can't kiss that long in a straight stream, but you could kiss and then stop and then kiss again and stop now that was like pushing it but you could argue like oh it wasn't kissing for that like because you's kissing and stopping you know so then so he kissed her mm, and then he stop and she looked like she's trying to resist for like 0.2 seconds but that red charm got a boy and she pulled away for a second and she said i'm gonna faint and he like hell yeah i want you to faint ain't nobody ever kissed you like this and he kisses her again. And you know them boomers are feeling it right now. And he like, say you marry me. And she like, yeah. And he like, you're not going to take it back? And she like, no. Sis is trying to get her another kiss. <laughs> and then he asked her if she's marrying him for his money. And be honest. And she like, I mean, partly. Clearly she knows that money makes things easier at this point. And she's always been very fond of Rhett, and at this point, he actually is a millionaire, and it would be a lie to say that she was madly in love, but now she has her money, Frank's money, and Rhett's money, and she, you know, she kind of likes him, but she still tries to get another kiss goodbye, though, because she she likes him kisses, bro. so... They are off to get married, and they go off to their honeymoon, to New Orleans, rich as can be. And Scarlett is so happy being rich, she is eating to her heart's content and shopping her ass off. Rhett even mentions that Scarlett, she gets something from Mammy. And she said that Mammy said that they could dress up like racehorses all they want to, but she called them old mules. And Rhett agreed and said he would really like to earn Mammy's respect. And Scarlett said, I'm not going to take her nothing, but Rhett is going to get her a red petticoat so stiff it'll stand on its own and so rustly that God will think it was made of angel wings, just like Rhett's mama used to want. Scarlett starts having bad dreams, so she asks Rhett if they can go to Tara to visit, like leave their honeymoon and go to Tara, and they literally go the next day. She starts talking about how she wishes that Tara was like it used to be before the war child, Rhett said, okay, we can rebuild it. We're rich. And we can have our new house in Atlanta. But now, Sue Ellen is pissed again, because even though now Tara is paid for forever, she took all the servants to the new house. She done took Prissy, Mammy, and Pork, so now they ain't got nobody. Well, some time passes, as in Scarlett is having a big And Rhett is beside himself trying to get in there. And Rhett is just, I mean, Mammy's just trying to keep him calm with her red petticoat under her maid's dress she love her some Rhett now baby she you can tell that he treats Mammy like a person not just like a Mammy Mammy even apologizes that he's not having a boy and he was like boys suck I wanted a girl he finally is in there to see his little girl and Mammy had told Melanie that Scarlett picked the name Eugenia Victoria Rhett is in there being a daddy like baby talking his little girl promising to buy her a pony baby's literally a week old and he is he cannot get enough of this baby now Rhett is being the cutest dad ever and meanwhile Scarlett is the ultimate baddie diva in bed she has the most perfect dark brown waves just cascading over the pillowcases her brows Scarlett's brows are my, I, I model my brows after Vivian Lee's brows. Scarlett O'Hara's brows sit exactly the way I want my, she just always looks like, mm, mm. So brows, she's got on this turquoise robe with white feather edging and huge bell sleeves. She has a couple outfits with these huge bell sleeves, but that are super tight and cinched. Oh, that is my, everything I ever want. And her sheets are like gold. She's mag fucking The picture of beauty after a week after giving birth. Melly comes in and they're talking about how blue this baby's eyes are. Blue is the Bonnie Blue flag. And Rhett decides that that's what they're calling her. Bonnie Blue Butler. That is a cute ass name. And later on, Scarlett is measuring her waist. It's 20 inches. Now, you know, normal, you know, the dimensions everybody talks about, 36, 24, 36. I think that Marilyn Monroe was around that, or maybe she was a little bit off from that. 20 inches is small, but I know that the girls, they want that small waist, but she said her waist is 20 inches, but she wanted to get it back to 18 and a half. Mammy basically tells her, girl, you got a mama body now, and you are not getting back to no 18 and a half. And Scarlett tells Mammy, well, you know what? I ain't having no more kids. And uh, Mammy like, "Mm, Red said he going to want a son next year. And she like, well, mm, I'm not going to do that. And also, you can tell Red, I'm having dinner up here. I'm not going downstairs. So she goes in the drawer and pulls out this picture of Ashley that she still has. And like is staring at it. Red come in and he is in full hubby mode. He's being the cutest husband ever. He's like, oh, you want to have dinner up here? Can I come have dinner with you? And at first she like, yeah. And she like no, I actually I look I mm, I don't want to have kids. Um, and Rhett knows at this point that she's been down at the lumber mill where Ashley is. And Rhett basically tries to tell her, look, I feel sorry for you because you are missing out on real happiness for a dream that won't even make you happy. But she just wants Rhett to be sure that she know, he know she don't want no kids, which basically for this time is refusing sex. And he's like, you know, I could like divorce you for this. And she's like, you would talk about that. You would talk about divorcing me. I'm just saying I don't want to have no kids. And he was like, you know what? It's cool. I, I'll get it elsewhere. It's no problem. And so she says, all right, well, I, just in case you change your mind, I'm going to lock this door. Okay, and he was like, "You, you know how caddy she getting And Rhett said, "You know what? That don't even matter to me because ain't no lock gonna keep me out." And Buddy literally walks over, and boom, kicks the door so hard a piece goes flying off the um off the frame. He goes into the next room. He pours a drink. He takes a sip of it. Looks up at this painting of Scarlet and throws the whole glass at the painting. He is. Mad mad having his little dramatic moment. And this is very similar to the moment where Scarlett gets upset and throws that um teapot at the at the wall when she first confessed to Ashley and Rhett met her for the first time. It's a very similar moment. They are so much alike. Um, but you could tell he thought he really thought he was making her happy for a second, and he was like, same old shit. So he goes to Bill Watling's to vent. He's going off about basically how shitty Scarlett is. And Belle's like, it really don't matter what you say and how you feel. You still love that girl. And Rhett is, and she was like, well, you know what? You got to be there for the daughter because the daughter is worth 10 of the mother, which is like one of my favorite lines. She's worth 10 of the mother. Um, and Rhett is like, girl, it's crazy how like, you and Scarlett are. Both of y'all are smart, successful businesswomen, but you're kind and honest. And she says goodnight to Rhett and waits for him to leave before a tear rolls out of her eye. Belle has been dealing with Rhett for so long, so long. And you know she loves him and sees how shitty of a person Scarlett is. And here he is coming over to vent to Belle and tell Belle how much better she is than the woman that he decided to marry out of all the women that he's ever known. He married her and you want to come and cry to Belle about it? Men are so fucking dense. So Red's on damage control duty trying to make sure that the community loves him and their family so he can make sure that. Bonnie Bell gets into the right circles. Scarlett simply does not care enough about anyone to realize that what she does affects her daughter and the people love Rhett and they love how much he loves his daughter. So by default, they love Bonnie. Scarlett is just kind of part of the package deal at this point. And Rhett was serious about buying Bonnie Bell a pony. As soon as he could get her on a pony to practice riding, he had her up there. Meanwhile, Scarlett stops by to visit Ashley at the office. It's his birthday. And Melly is throwing him a surprise party that he already knows about. But he says he'll act surprised. You know how that whole thing goes. So he tells Scarlett that she looks just the same as she did the last day at the barbecue at Twin Oaks, and, and she's still she gets more beautiful every day. But Scarlett says that nothing has turned out like she thought it would that day at Twin Oaks. And she's having a, another magical moment with him again. And Ashley gets all nostalgic for a second, talking about old times, and he says something about the warm, still country twilight, the high, soft, Negro laughter from the quarters. Oh, that's my favorite line. They really make slavery sound so magical, dog. Soft, high, Negro laughter. <laughs> like this. <laughs> During slavery. Anyway, Scarlett gets sad. Ashley hugs her tenderly and says he didn't mean to make her sad. He only wants to ever see her happy. Just then, India Wilkes and Miss Me walk in to see them hugging. Child, you know India has only needed an opportunity and a reason, and this is it. You may be thinking, well, Nikki, it's just a hug. Okay, no. A hug in these times, in this economy, in the 1800s, means a whole lot. Or maybe it's like the early, I think it's still the late 1800s. Anyway, so back at home, Scarlett decides to play sick so she doesn't have to go to the party. Child, Rhett snatches them covers off her so fast and tells her to get her ass up and get ready for this party because everyone in town knows because India, you know, she made sure that the word was spread fast and she's going to go and make sure he's going to make sure that she goes and faces all that embarrassment. He practically throws her out of bed, goes to the closet, picks out this red-ass, elaborate dress and t- makes sure to tell her to put on rouge so she, quote-unquote, looks the part. Basically, gives her a Belle Watlin-ass outfit. I mean, but she looked good, though. Basically, calls my dog a hoe over a hug. Damn, but Rhett knows this. this is not just a hug. This is Ashley. He knows the implications of what that hug means. They get to the party. Everybody's singing happy birthday to Ashley. So clearly he did nothing wrong. Everyone still loves him. It's wild times at Ridgemont High. Anyway, Scarlett and Rhett get there. Rhett says, good night. And gets ready to turn around and leave. And she's like, excuse me? He's like, no, no, no. You go into that arena alone, babe. This your shit. You sit in that thing by yourself. And he dips. Rude. So in she goes whole party stops even the music stops but like damn even the fiddler knows what's going on melanie so she's standing there like a a absolute baddie in her red dress melanie is wearing this like blue and purple kind of very homely looking dress melanie looks like literally always looks like a nurse she looks like um the most homely sweet woman and Scarlett got this elaborate hair this like the the eyebrows this red so anyway Melanie makes a beeline for this girl and kisses both of her cheeks warmly and tells her that India couldn't make it to the party. So she needs Scarlett to help her receive her guests. So basically, Melly said, "Um, for everybody here at this party, you see me, you see her. That's it. Per. Like, the way Scarlett has shat on this girl's existence from the jump, only to have this girl, Melanie, be the most ride or die in person in Scarlett's life out of everybody, even out of all the men's. Melanie, that's the ride or die right there. That's that's my best friend. But like, Scarlett don't see it like that. But Melanie, if that song was out when Melanie, when they were, Melanie would have been playing that song every day and thinking that, like, sending it, texting it to Scarlett. And Scarlett would have just sent her like a little thumbs up emoji on it. Wouldn't even respond it. But Melanie would have been like, that's my best friend. She a real bad bitch because like, anyway, you get what I'm saying. After the party, Scarlet gets home. Rhett ain't there. So she tells Mammy to tell Rhett she's sleep if he asks about her when he get home. Well, later that night, my girl needs a little sippy sip of some brandy before bed. So she come on down to get some, thinking Rhett ain't there yet. Well, he is. And he's drunk. First, she tries to pretend that she didn't come down there for a drink, but he knows her. He's known her this whole time. He also knows that Melly probably stood beside her, even knowing what was going on. And Ashley will not be physical physically unfaithful, but he damn sure has strayed mentally. And I think that part of Melanie's thing about Ashley, honestly, and I think the reason that she is so quick to just love Scarlett is because she knows that even through all the rumors, even through everything, Ashley has what would, would never do anything. He knows that. And so by default, she also knows that Scarlett could never have done anything because Ashley wouldn't have done anything. Anyway, back to the story. So um, Scarlett keeps trying to get up and Rhett keep trying to talk to her. He keeps pushing her back down in the chair because he want to basically tell her she ain't shit. He puts his hands in front of her and says, I could tear you to pieces. And then he's standing behind her He puts his hands on either side of her head and puts his hands like his fingers in her hair and pushes each side of her head. And he says he wants to smash her skull between his hands like a walnut to make her forget Ashley. And Scarlet tries to play cool and tells him sternly to take his hands off her, but her eyes look terrified and she's breathing hard. But she says she's not afraid of him. And this is simply something that wreck will never understand. Good night. She heads to the stairs to go to bed and Rhett stops her and kisses her. Then basically says, you locked me out so you can think about Ashley, but you're not locking me out tonight. Picks old girl up and carries her up to the stairs kicking, but then it looks like she kind of stops kicking. So a quick detour here, and I'm going to try to put a trigger warning in the notes so that if anybody wants to pass this section, this section does have a little bit to do with marital rape, but not really, but kind of. Um, So if you do want to skip this, I'm going to put something in the notes about it, but it'll probably be about a minute or a minute and a half up. Um, Anyway, this is where it gets complicated. So people would say that this is marital rape. She has already said that she does not want to engage with, into sex with him. He says, no, you are going to tonight. With just this fact alone... Yes, it is, but I think there's a couple things that we need to consider and all we have to work with is the material here, but I think there's three things to be consider. Scarlett wanted to stop having contact with Rhett because she didn't want to have kids. There is nothing implied there to say that she doesn't like being intimate with him. It is just her body that she is concerned about because she is always self-first, self-preservation first before anything else, but It's not suggested that she doesn't like it. And as a matter of fact, every time Rhett kisses her, she seems to be super into it. So it's not quite a not wanting to. It's not wanting the aftermath of what happens because of it. Second, Scarlett's relationship with Rhett has kind of always been like this. Whenever he's charming and dotes on her, whenever any man is charming and dotes on her, she's not into it at all. She indulges in a a sort of a taboo kind of... uh, she loves married a married man. She works at a time when women didn't really work. She's committed murder at this point. So it's not beyond me to think that she may desire a little roughness in her sex life. She may need to be coerced a little bit. And every time Rhett has kissed her, like we said, it's been kind of forceful. And she has melted into that forcefulness. Um, this whole movie... Scarlett is practically a bulldozer, doesn't care who stands in her way. She'll lie, manipulate, deal in shady business just to make sure she's comfortable. With Rhett, she kind of takes on a different personality. If you're Familiar with the terms dom and sub or dominant and submissive, there's a submissive subset called brats. Brats are typically submissives who take on an adversarial sort of relationship with their dominant. Um, Think of like a father and a rebellious daughter with this rebellious behavior being quote unquote trained out of the brat in one way or another, typically in physical or mental ways. Um, The relationship that they have is kind of like that. She's snippy, manipulative, cutthroat at heart, but whenever Rhett makes romantic physical contact with her, she just sort of melts like a kitten, which brings me to my third point, the next morning. Now, all of this time, she has been snippy, she has been catty, she's been nasty with Rhett these past couple of months, ever since she has decided that she didn't want to have physical contact with him anymore because she didn't want to have kids. The next morning after this happens, she is cooing and smiling like the cat who caught the canary. Now, interestingly enough, she's happily singing the first stanza from a poem called Ben Bolt, which is from like the 1800s or 1600s, I think. Um, And she's humming and singing softly, you know, like a woman in love. And this is the poem that she's singing. This is the first stanza of the poem. Don't you remember sweet Alice, Ben Bolt? Sweet Alice, whose hair was so brown, who wept with delight when you gave her a smile and trembled with fear at your frown. In the old churchyard in the valley Ben bolt, in a corner obscure and alone, they have fitted a slab of the granite so gray, and Alice lies under the stone. She specifically sings the lines, she wept with delight when he gave her a smile and trembled with fear at his frown. And she doesn't sing past that, but I would almost say that the second part of that with fitted a slab of the granite, so gray and Alice lies under the stone sort of is um, foreshadowing for what ends up happening later. But we will talk about that soon. Um, but. Anyhow, considering the relationship between her and Rhett, her specifically singing the line, she wept with delight when he gave her a smile and trembled with fear at his frown. That is very poetic. Anyhow, Rhett eventually comes in and apologizes, apologizes for his behavior and how rough he was with Scarlet. And she is visibly disappointed about this apology. It's almost like she thought this passionate encounter sort of rekindled something in their relationship when for him, this was just a result of like his drunkenness and depression. First, he says that they should just admit that they fucked up and get a divorce. And Scarlett is put off and doesn't want to do that because she says it'll be a disgrace to her family now she has a bunch of excuses as to why she doesn't want to do it and never says it's because I love you it's because I care about you she says it's about her family but anyway Rhett basically asks if she would divorce him if Ashley was free she just tells him to leave her alone she never answers the question <laughs> well no mind he's gonna leave and go to London and he's taking Bonnie Bell this went from a being a dope ass morning to a lame morning very fast Um, Out in London, Rhett is being the best daddy that he can be, but of course, baby girl wants to go home to her mama. She is very afraid of the dark. She misses her home. Now, this, my friends, is where it gets complicated if it wasn't already bad enough. Rhett comes back home with Bonnie, and Scarlett is actually... Very happy to see Rhett. She has a big-ass smile on her face. And I don't know how he missed that. But he is giving her dry-ass responses. He is paying her dust. So she matches his energy. She She's like, okay, well, fine. You don't like me, I don't like you. He even tells her that he left his bags back at the station. And he's dipping out again right after this. Like, he literally just does not want to be home. But not before telling her, mm, you look a little pale. Is it because you miss me? Is it because you, you haven't been taking care of yourself? Well, no, She's pale. Because she got pregnant from that one night that they were together. So clearly, we see why she ain't want to engage because they're both pretty fertile. It just took one time. But she says she's not any more happy about it than he is. And I think when he first got there, I think she was excited to tell him that she was pregnant and she wanted him to be happy about it. But then when when she says that she's pregnant, he's happy for just a moment, but she has put herself back in the place of, well, he don't want me, so I don't want him. So then he has to act like he's not happy about it. So they are both happy about this pregnancy, but are both pretending that they're not for the sake of the other person. So he makes a joke and says, oh, well, since you're not happy about it, maybe you'll have an accident. She swings at him the way that she, you know, she does all the time, you know, but she swings at him. They're on the stairs and he dodges. So down she goes. She topples right on down. She's in the room. And he, so now he's worried, of course. So she's in the room and she's crying out for him and he's outside distraught about her, but they're not talking. She's calling out for him, but when people ask her what she wants, she's saying it's no use. It's no use because she thinks he, he don't love her and he's not gonna come. And Rhett wanted that baby, man. He like Melly comes in to tell him that Doctor Mead had left, and Rhett immediately thinks that Scarlett had died. Like he says, "Scarlett's dead." That's his response. He's having the guilt trip of a century. But Melly is as sweet as ever, you know her. And he even tries to hint to Melly that. Scarlett's in love with Ashley and doesn't love him he tries to, he doesn't outright say it but he's like if you only knew why we can't be together because she loves someone else but Millie is like girl she's like you believe those rumors no you shouldn't she tells um and she says that even though Scarlett lost this baby she's sure she'll have another one and Melanie reveals that she's having another baby as well. Now, as we know from the first pregnancy, she basically had um, preeclampsia. She had like it was a it was a high risk pregnancy. So her having another baby is super, super, super high risk. But she wants to bring that new life into the world. And she believes that, you know, babies are beautiful. And so Scarlett now, after a while, is feeling a little bit better. So Red decides to have a real heart to heart with her. He tells her he loves her. And he kind of wants her to just sell the mill so they can spend more time together because he feels like the mill is taking them away from each other. And Scarlett is literally starting any argument she can. She don't want to quit the mill. He said, well, I want you to quit so you can spend more time with me and Bonnie. And she's like, well, you know, you always been trying to make Bonnie love you more than she loved me. And also like, I want to keep making money because, you know, we could run out of money. And he's like, we are never going to run out of money. Like we are doing so well. If you sell the mill, we'll have a lot of, um, pocket money, backup money, and we have my money. But Brett, through this, is keeping a level head, just trying to keep her on task and trying to really appeal to her to make this thing work. And it almost seems like it may kind of be working. Meanwhile, Bonnie rides up. She's talking to both of them, and she says she's about to jump with her horse um, without someone out there with her. And she's hard-headed, just like her mama and her daddy, And even though they try to stop her. She is just like Scarlett's dad. You see where this is going? She tries to jump, and she's sitting side-saddle, and she tries to jump that hurdle, baby, and it don't make it. It don't clear. And down she goes, and that neck is broken, and baby is gone. And child, you know half of what was keeping them together was Bonnie Bell. So at this point, everything goes to shit. All of this is accounted by Mammy to Melly through her tears. But basically, Scarlet blamed Rhett for teaching Bonnie to jump. Rhett claimed that Scarlett never loved that girl. He went out and shot the pony. Then he locked himself in the nursery with the body for two days. And he said he not putting that baby in the dark. She's scared of the dark. They want to have a funeral. And Rhett said, I will shoot anybody who come in here to take this body, child. This is the scene that I know got Mammy that Academy Award. Because I'd be damned if I'm not even a little teary-eyed every time I watch it. When I tell you Mammy is crying over Rhett. A lot of films and media make house staff feel so secondary, but you really get the idea that their house would not have been a home without Mammy, and she really like was a part of their family. So Mammy called for Melly because she knows that if Rhett will won't listen to reason from anybody else, he'll listen to her. So she tries. She goes in. Mammy prays that the angels will intervene for them, and Mellie finally comes out and says that Captain Butler is happy to have a funeral the next day. Right before she passes out, child, they get Melly home, and Melly is is dying. She is dying, dying. That baby did it for her, and the ladies are all waiting to see her. India is crying, wants to apologize, and says like I got to tell Melly I was wrong about something. Um, and the doctor like child, Melly, no, but she says she want to see Scarlet. She 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 actually just called for Scarlet right now, so. Scarlet goes in. She's crying. She's having a little moment. She tells Scarlett to care for Ashley, just like Ashley asked Scarlett to care for her when he went to the war. But she also says, "But don't let him know." To the end, she will not believe that Scarlett is after Ashley, and expects her to look after him from afar. She also asks Scarlett to take care of Beau, her son, and finally she says, "Be kind to Captain Butler." He loves you so. This line right here somehow sets it off for Scarlett. after all this time that maybe Captain Butler may actually like her. But hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Scarlett comes out of the room. Captain Butler is standing in the back. She starts weeping and she's like, oh, my gosh. And immediately runs to Ashley and asks Ashley to hold her. And Ashley hugs her and hauls her. And Captain Butler has the most disgusted look on his face. He is three hours past done at this point. So he literally just gets his jacket and his hat and dips. They don't even notice. Meanwhile, Ashley is literally devastated that his wife is dying in the next room. I need y'all to understand his wife is actively dying right now. And Scarlett is like, oh, Ashley, what are we going to do? And he's holding this girl's glove. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And and Scarlett at this point literally says to him, you really love her, don't you? Bitch, what? Ma'am. Where the fuck have you been for the, I don't, last 10, 15, I, like how old is Bo at this point? Like eight or 12 or something? Bitch, you have thrown yourself at this man for so long. You got more yards than a football on Super Bowl Sunday. Ma'am, what is your life? She ain't even all the way dead. Your husband is in the room or he's already left, but he was in the room. Everybody knows you have been throwing yourself at this man your whole life and you are having a jealous moment right now as his wife is dying in the next room sis bye big time bye get the fuck bye but of course ashley is so devastated he's not even thinking about it he's still he's just devastated and so now she says Scarlett says you should have told me years ago that you loved her and not me if i was ashley I would have been looking for hidden cameras and they didn't even have TV or movies back then. I would have invented the concept of TV in my mind, then looked around for a hidden contraption where someone could record my reactions visually to things and people could watch an edited version for their entertainment later on because what the fuck, Scarlett, are you kidding me? All of this time, and you say, you should have told me years ago that you- Well, anyhow, somehow, this made Scarlett realize that all this time, she thought she would be upset, actually losing Ashley, but she's not. She realizes now that she loves Rhett now, but he has dippy-dipped now. So now, she's out running in the fog, looking for him. Rhett! She gets home and she is calling for Rhett. She's running up the stairs calling for Rhett, looking around in the house for Rhett. She gets upstairs and he is chilling. She tells him that Melly is, she tells him that, you know, Melly's gone now. And she realizes how much she loves him. But Rhett is done. Like, done, done. Done. The most poetic thing about this moment, actually, is that he proposed to her while she was in all black. The first time he danced with her was while she was in all black. After, after Charles' death, the first time he danced with her, she was in all black. The first time when he proposed to her, she was in all black. And now, at the death of their relationship, she is once again in all black. After losing Bonnie Bell. He says that Bonnie was basically holding them together and Bonnie was like seeing a version of Scarlet before the war, before she became ruthless, when she was still charming and lovable and had life and zest. But Bonnie Bell is gone and she took all the joy when she left. Scarlet is apologizing and crying for real this time. Like this whole film, her crying has kind of just been like sounds, but that face was dry though. Baby's eyes, like, were, were, makeup was still sitting. Um, You know, she had, you could tell she was a little sad and things were sitting on her chest, but baby, these eyes are red. And she just keep telling Red around how much she loved him. She is begging him and pleading him. But baby, it's done, done. I feel like, I know they don't put no birthdays in here, but I feel like Rhett is a Scorpio. Because when we love, we love hard and completely. And we get jealous real fast if we feel like we got to compete with anybody. And we will fight. We'll fight through the We'll be like, hey, I know you're looking over there, but baby, don't forget me. I'm here. But you know what? When we're done, we're done. We are done, done. And no tears, no begging, no I love yous will help. One, two, three strikes, maybe four, five, ten, but (laughs) you're out. And he literally gave this girl a whole relationship to get over her shit with Ashley. And she never did. Now we get to the most famous part of the film. This man has packed his bags. He said, "Mm, I'm out. Thanks very much. He's leaving, going back to Charleston. She comes racing down them stairs in that black dress. And <clears throat> I got to do my best impersonation. Rhett. 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 But if you go, where shall I go? What shall I do? And with that, Rhett says his famous last words. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Boop! Walk off. Into the fog. Bye, bitch. <laughs> oh, shit so she's officially like alone alone she ain't got her baby her husband you don't even see mammy and nobody around she just out here by herself so first she like i gotta find a way to get him back but i can't think about that right now i'll think about it tomorrow like like when she committed the murder that i'll think about it tomorrow but then she says but i have to think about it what else matters what else do i have same as she said with um Ashley, when he was like you can't i can't be with you what else do i have well as her father told her ashley told her and Rhett told her that land matters and she gets her power from the red earth of Terra. she knows that she needs to go home to figure out how to get them she needs that strength and tomorrow's another day and that's how our movie ends this story has so much to discuss from top to bottom, and I'm going to try to get through it fast because I know we've already been here for an hour. But I just want to touch on a few points. First of all, the tagline on this film, if you read it, on, um, it's streaming on HBO Max. It says, Scarlett O'Hara's battle to save her beloved Tara and find love during the Civil War. She, Sis was not looking for love at any point. She thought she loved Ashley. She thought she had found love in Ashley and basically rejected the thought of love and anything else except money. And so I'm pretty sure that her finding love during the Civil War was her realizing that she loved many. And this may be a hot take, but I've kind of always felt like she didn't really like love Ashley. She had like a childhood crush on him, the way that you have a crush on someone when you're young and, you know, impressionable and you really admire someone. But after that, Scarlett's last happy days were that, Was Her last happy day was that day at 12 Oaks at the barbecue. And part of that day involved her not only being in love with Ashley, but also having this deep disdain for Rhett, having witnessed her confession. And everything that she did from that day on, I think was just stuck in that day, stuck in that feeling. Even as she grew as a person, even as Rhett grew as a person, even as Ashley grew, even as he got married, even as Melanie grew. She was stuck in that day, the last day of the South that she knew and loved. However, all that Southern charm, that that Southern love that she had was for show. For Melly, Ashley, Frank, even her sisters, they got Scarlet the Southern Belle, the one that wanted to make appearances, who did everything to, to, to look good for the public. But you know who got the real Scarlet, who encouraged the real Scarlet? Rhett and the house staff. The house staff because she didn't need to put on for them and Rhett because he wouldn't allow her to. He would call her out in two seconds and didn't care. During the film, Scarlett straightens herself up and tries to make herself pretty for Ashley twice. Once before she confesses her love to him at 12 Oaks and once before she presents the scarf to him, both when she is very young. Every other time she sees Ashley, she is just how she is. She is working in the yard. She is her, you know, sad best. Um, you know, but she puts on a, um, an emotional act for him constantly. Tries to basically emotionally blackmail him at any moment that she can. But Red, she tries to freshen up, comb her hair, pinch her cheeks. She notices how bad she looks. The moment that she realizes she needs to go see Rhett for that money, she immediately runs to a mirror. Even though she claims not to like him. She knows he can see through that manipulation tactic. She he knows that she that Rhett cannot be emotionally blackmailed. So he she tries to make herself as physically appealing as possible, since he can see through all that thickness. P- and in the end, Scarlett ends up realizing that Through all of this, she basically is to Ashley what Belle Watling is to Rhett. Ashley loves everything about Scarlett, but is desperately in love with Melanie. And that's something completely different. And it is the same to be said for, I think, how Rhett feels about Belle. He loves Belle. Loves everything about her, thinks she's a wonderful woman, but cannot get over the fact that he is desperately in love with Scarlet. And that is the difference between Scarlet and Belle. Here's where they here, here's where they differ. When Rhett came to Belle to complain about Scarlet, she was quick to remind him that he loved that girl. No matter how she felt about him, she always understood the real and was willing to communicate the real. Belle was honestly like a perfect mix of Scarlett and Melanie. She had this heart of gold, but definitely wasn't blind to anything. But the unfortunate truth for Scarlett is Scarlett would have loved for Melanie to be a little bit worse. But the real reason that she hated Melanie so much is because she would never do anything wrong and would never give Ashley any reason to leave. Never give Ashley any reason to complain about her because Melanie literally is like Princess Diana status at this point. It's like, if I, it would be like, if I liked Tom Holland, but then I found out that he was gonna marry Zendaya, nobody would ever take my side if I was like, oh, he should, Tom Holland should be with me instead of Zendaya. People would be like, I would say, bitch, shut up to myself. Clearly, this is Zendaya. Like that, this is Melanie. Now I gotta talk about this other thing. After Scarlett's dad passes, Mammy says you just gotta go on being brave, which really spoke to me. Along with Mammy's speech about Captain Butler when Bonnie passes away, I didn't mention this, but before she starts talking about all the stuff he's going through, Mammy basically says that Scarlett is strong and she can take this. But Captain Butler, he's losing his mind. Scarlett never really had time to be soft after the war ended. I mean, she wasn't really super soft before. She was sensitive, but she wasn't soft. Um, and if they were going to live, they needed a hard ass like Scarlet, who would be willing to literally kill to protect their land, which she did. But you can't just turn that mentality on and off with her. Scarlett was going to get it through the mud if she had to. But that mentality, unfortunately, comes with a price. People don't check on you to make sure you are okay because they think you got it. They think you okay, so uh, people were constantly checking on Melly. People were constantly checking on the other girls because they were sensitive. But wasn't nobody checking on Scarlett because they felt like, oh, she ruthless, She good. She got it. Mammy is in the hall crying about Rhett when Scarlett, who has just lost a pregnancy recently, has now lost her only alive daughter in the same way that she lost her dad. Damn, can you check on her? Can you sit with her? I know Scarlett would probably be the type to say that she wants to be alone, but even in talking to Melly, when she... Um, relays what's been going on in this house. She relegates Scarlett, the girl that she's taken care of her whole life, to one sentence and then proceeds to weep over Captain Butler's response for the next two to three minutes. It's so sad that even in this dark of an hour, Scarlet is expected to be strong. This is the prime example of the male view of women. I think that a lot of women either see us as a Melanie or a Scarlet. We either... Um, are sensitive, soft, motherly, um, caring, um, the Madonna complex, or we're scarlet, we're hardworking, we're you know ruthless, we're cunning, we're manipulative because we're obsessed with money, we're obsessed with making sure that we can see the finer things in life. But there's this weird crossover that we'll talk about in a moment in Belle. But I think it's interesting that these two women are sort of like pitted against each other. But even in them being pitted against each other in a movie form, Scarlett constantly hates this woman who only loves her. And Melanie has every reason to hate Scarlett and doesn't. Scarlett has no reason to hate Melanie and does. It's clear that Melanie is the prime prototype for the um, American Southern woman who still exists in her femininity. While Scarlet represents this like new age of woman who is progressive and won't let the man take the lead. And the only man that's even a man like Rhett Butler who is strong and capable, isn't even able to lead her. And she doesn't realize how much he even loves her until it's too late. This is a cautionary tale from Hollywood about what happens to women who don't invest enough time in love and family and invest too much time in money. You end up surrounded by big things and having lots of money, but being alone. That's what they want you to think. To be honest, not one of these love stories are really happy for this to be this beautiful song of the South, not one. Not even Melanie and Ashley. It's clear that Ashley has some kind of fondness for Scarlett, especially as she's grown into this beautiful, business-savvy woman right in front of him. He was so honorable that he was willing to leave so as not to be around Scarlett to avoid even having the thought. Scarlett marries once out of bitterness, once for money, but with Red, It's interesting. It sort of feels like if two best friends decide to get married. And it never felt romantic or magical, but it felt familiar, like two people who truly understood each other. Um, and Ashley and Melanie, when Ashley talked about Melanie um, earlier in part one, he said that Melanie understood him. And I think that in a way, much like Ashley and Melanie understood each other, there's that same kind of dynamic with Scarlet. But because she was so blinded by money, she wasn't able to see it until too late. And honestly, the older you get, you realize that that understanding is what love really is. Those butterflies, the nervous feelings, the chasing, the longing, the things that we saw Scarlet feeling for Ashley, all those are red ass flags. You shouldn't be longing for a person that you have actual physical access to. If they go out of town or if you're in a long distance relationship or whatever, sure, long away. But if they are physically present and they are not accessible to you, baby it's not yours. And there's nothing to long for. Rhett was always accessible to Scarlet at any given time, so much so that he decided that out of all the women that likely loved him, he wanted to settle down with her because he felt like they had the most in common. The saddest story really is Belle's. She is so sweet, kind, caring, nurturing, and you know that she loves Rhett. And again, and again, and again, he has to, she has to hear about this girl, Scarlett, who treats Rhett like he is trash beans. Meanwhile, she's out here taking him in, rescuing him from soldiers, helping him get away from just being ride or die and still gets passed over. Now, I'm sure they kept great company when the deal was that Rhett wasn't going to marry anybody. And so it was just known. they probably Neither one of them was probably going to marry anybody and they were probably going to end up being life partners. Um, similar to a situation like um, uh, dangerous liaisons, kind of, you know what I mean. Anyway, but not not as cruel, obviously, because Belle is a good person. But she knows now that it wasn't that Rhett couldn't marry. He just didn't want to until he could have Scarlett, until he met the right person. But he still wants to kick it with Belle when he and Scarlett fall out. Um, and that shit, that hurts. I was almost hoping at the end that Rhett was going to tell Scarlett that he was going to go off with Belle. But they were actually setting up for a sequel where maybe they can get back together. And of course, that never happened. But I really felt bad for Belle just knowing that she was probably the best person for Rhett, but Rhett was just so entangled in love with Scarlet that it just wasn't gonna work. Melanie's story itself is probably the most interesting story here because she really is perfect. There is no point in this movie where she does anything unlikable, ever even when she's gullible, she's likably gullible. She's likably helpful to everybody. She is sweet to each person that she meets. She's overly understanding. And she ultimately does believe in Ashley's love for her. And because they know each other so well, she's right. Ashley is not going to cheat on her. Even if he is attracted to uh, Scarlett, she knows that she done found one of the most noble men that she has ever met. Even being her cousin, she has found one of the most noble men that she has ever met. And no matter what happens, she knows that Ashley is not going to cheat on her. Now it is remains to be seen whether or not I can't really tell whether she actually believed that there was nothing going on with Scarlett or if she was actually just blind to it. But I think knowing how much Scarlett had helped her and knowing that Ashley would not cheat on her, just put her in a place of peace and i think when you are in a secure relationship which is what melanie was in a very secure relationship it don't matter who likes your man it don't matter if your man thinks other people are pretty it doesn't matter if your other man is if your man is looking at other people if you know that your man is going to be faithful there's literally nothing that you need to worry about and that's where Melanie was. I'm pretty sure she was like, you know what? It really, no- nothing that anybody says matter because I know at the end of the day, Ashley didn't cheat on me. I know that Scarlett didn't cheat on her um, husband. And I know that Scarlett is not, with- so what are we talking about? We're not talking about what ifs. We're talking about what is. And Ashley, Melanie knew that what was, was that she had a faithful and loyal man to the end. And that, my friends, is what we call a secure relationship, secure attachment. Now, of course, we can't leave without very quickly discussing the big-ass elephant in the room, and I am not going to go into great and sordid detail about this big-ass elephant because I know I didn't mention a couple things about it during this, but the depiction of slavery. Here is the issue, like the grand issue when I'm watching this film. On one hand, this is clearly not historically accurate. To have the workers in this film experience largely no violence, except for seeing Prissy, who got slapped. And I would say the slap was for a pretty good reason. And we also see you know, a white woman get slapped as well. So it's not like it's only Black people experiencing these this violence. Um, that is quite an oversight for what was realistic for the time. Soft Negro laughter is not something that I would ever associate with slavery, even in a poetic terms. Um, however in watching this film i would not be able to stomach this film if it were accurate if mammy were treated like shit if poke was constantly treated like he was nothing if big sam was abused out in the, the fields i i mean it's nice to see a film and i know this is listen hear me out it is nice to see a film Where the black cast are inherently all good. And the shittiest person in the film is a white woman. And the film does not end well for her. This is no offense to my white lady friends. I promise you. I love y'all for my friends and my kinfolk and my allies. I love all y'all. But y'all know y'all get a lot of happy endings in these movies and these TV shows. You know, even when y'all don't get the man, y'all still be happy about it at the end. Um, Especially in older movies, y'all got a whole, whole lot of happy endings, which is, I think, also the reason that I kind of like Alfred Hitchcock movies, because some of them was like kind of happy endings, but some of them were not. And I like a ending that's not quite happy. But anyway, y'all got to get a lot of happy endings, and this was not happy for y'all. Um, Of course, we are very proud of Hattie McDaniel for her Academy Award. But I think I may have discussed this in the first episode, but I do want to bring this up again. She wasn't even, uh, she almost couldn't even go to the ceremony. Clark Gable had said that he wasn't going if Hattie couldn't go because like, that's not fair. And she still had to sit in like a separate section because at this time, segregation was still very much legal. It was a legal thing that kind of had to happen. Like, I mean, obviously, you could not have segregation, but you would need everybody in the room to agree that segregation is wrong. And I'm sure you will not have that in 1950-something. So unfortunately, she's relegated to a different area of the room. This woman poured her heart out into a role, did a beautiful job, an amazing job, a, a good enough job that she is the first Black woman to be nominated for an encounter. Award and win and was almost not invited because they were so hell-bent on upholding the law that they were willing to overlook her contributions. And of course, you know, the other black cast members who weren't even considered for an invite because they they weren't considered important enough to the principal cast. So this film does have like a little bit of a bitter history, especially me being a black woman watching it, regardless of how good the story is. But there are also such good parts of this story that I can't help but love it. This movie is four hours long and I have watched it probably six times in my life. That is 24 hours almost gone from my life based off of this one movie should you watch it like I said it is almost four hours long um the version that we that's on HBO is a like sort of like a very straight version but if you watch I think if you download it or if you rent it from like um amazon or if you see it on turner classic movies i believe they'll show you the um cinematic version which includes a 20 minute uh intermission which has like a clock on the screen that ticks down for you to take a break because if you were watching this movie in a theater obviously an almost four hour movie you would need a break to go get snacks take a pee whatever so um this movie's four hours and i would venture to say it's two different films at, literally at the halfway point. The first part of the film is like a war epic. There's so much about the war that I think some may be accurate, some maybe not, but a lot of the first part of the film is how Southerners felt about the end of the South, about the end of this beautiful moment in their lives when it was just cotton fields and not having a care in the world. Basically living in, in a house with servants built in that you don't have to pay for and being completely taken care of. You get good food. You get um, the best of whatever is available to you. Your grounds are beautiful. You have wonderful fruits and vegetables that are being grown and you're being taken care of by people that you are not paying. But because this is just a part of your life, you think that this is normal and it's right. And it's beautiful. And you have a right to that life. And unfortunately, the people that you are using who are not being paid and who are being utilized and who are being treated like literal appliances are not getting anything out of this. So unfortunately, that way of life had to die. So the first part of that movie, the first part of the movie is the death of Southern life. And the second part of the film is the death of the Southern marriage, the death of the Southern romantic dream. And so we are experiencing, we see Scarlett wearing black a lot in this film. And typically when something is dying, she is wearing black. When Charles goes to war, she is wearing black because it's the beginning of Southern life. The next time she's wearing black is when Frank dies. This is the end, the official end of Southern life. The war has ended and the the KKK is a thing now. They actually have to start cavalries to fight against the Northern efforts, the Union efforts. And... The third time we see her wearing black is literally the death of her own marriage. Um, So we can see how this film sort of mimics the death of what quote unquote American life as Southerners would know it. But I think it's good. But if it sounds, and if it sounds interesting and you have to like, I don't know, take down some braids or bleach your hair or you, you paint a picture, you know, sand down some wood or do something that's going to take a long time um, and you just want a movie to play in the background to listen to and to kind of like glance over and watch, it's great. I I like it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Um, you'll probably, I mean, Scarlett's outfits are bomb. I can't say enough about her outfits. in it. And as you know, now that we're back, I'll be putting some screenshots up on the Instagram. I mean, I. it's streaming on HBO Max. So I would say, If you have a chance and you've got some time, you can watch it. Obviously it's long, so you'll need some time, but it's a classic. Um, The plot is not exactly, the movie itself is memorable as a whole. I wouldn't say that the plot is super memorable because it is a lot and it is convoluted. And there's a lot that jumps around and happens over a long period of time. But even though the plot is long and there's not even not really any like parts of the film that stand out, like when I think visually of parts that stand out, I can't really think of anything other than like the burning um, ammunition factory um, and a lot of Scarlett's outfits. But the movie itself very memorable. So that's it. That's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Next week, we'll be back to our regular scheduled Wednesdays with the Pacino Classic. Thank you so much for bearing with me through the hiatus. Life got crazy, but welcome to season two. Uh, Please follow the podcast on whatever platform you use, right wherever available. I'm going to be doing some updates on the YouTube and on the website pretty soon. And you can also always check out the Pod Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at film underscore Nikki and send any collab requests, advice, movie recommendations, or general greetings to here's looking podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Cheers! (laughs)